and everyone loved it but me. My name is Lisa Hedger. I'm a freelance writer, editor, and journalist in Central Ohio. I'm so happy to have you on the show. If you're listening to a show like today, where the title of the episode is the title of the book, Today It's All the Light We Cannot See, this is going to be an in-depth discussion where I talk with a guest who didn't quite love this super popular book, hence the name, Everyone Loved It But Me. We don't book bash, but we're going to have an insightful conversation. If you listen to an episode with book bits in the title, those are generally going to be shorter episodes focused on a number of bookish topics. In today's episode, we're discussing the Pulitzer winner, All the Light We Cannot See, and I have popular returning guest Kirsten Planner on today. She was also on a favorite episode, Untamed. So today's discussion is about a World War II themed book, and it is a mature conversation. So I wouldn't be listening to this one with little ears nearby. Heads up. Those of you who love the book or maybe didn't, I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. Yes, there will be spoilers. And as always, be sure to stay tuned for the end of the show where we flip that narrative and talk about those books. Everyone hated it but me. Sometimes they're overlooked books. Now, on to the show. I'm super excited because I have Kirsten Planner today, a second time guest. Kirsten Planner is now Global Managing Director of Financial and Professional Services at Fleischman Hillard. Formerly, she was a president of FICOM Partners. She's also adjunct instructor at Columbia University for the Strategic Communication Graduate Degree. She spent the majority of her career in financial services and corporate communications PR and began her career in news with NBC News at the United Nations and CNBC. Welcome, Kirsten. It's so great to have you back. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. I'm so excited to be back. Yes. Although this is a, an interesting and difficult book for me to talk about, but <laughs> nevertheless, I'm excited because I need, this is going to be my therapy session. I said this is going to be my therapy session about this book. Oh, I think so. This is a tough book. So this is All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr. And I'll give the quick synopsis. It's this beautifully written story about World War II. It does have all the components you're going to find in a World War II book. It's painfully sad and really heart-wrenching. This book jumps between alternating viewpoints, countries, and timelines. So we have that alternating timeline bouncing back and forth between 1940, 1944. And the book alternates between... Marie Lore, who's a French girl. She's the daughter of a master locksmith at the Natural History Museum in Paris. She becomes blind. She's a super intelligent kid who learns to navigate the streets of Paris with the help of her father. And then we have Werner, who is a German orphan who grows up in a mining town. Werner can fix every radio that it really almost anything that he finds. And as a result, the Nazis learn about this and he gets recruited and gets accepted into this elite school. So the entire book is kind of flipping back and forth between Marie Lore's journey and Werner's. And ultimately, Marie Lore and her father flee to San Malo, where Marie Lore's reclusive great uncle lives by the sea. And they take the museum's like most valuable and dangerous jewel. And then Werner ultimately goes to this 
Nazi school called the National Political Institute of Education. We are going to get into spoilers, certainly, but very early on, I think, and I'll ask you this, Kirsten, we realize that Werner and Marie Lohr are, are going to meet up at some point and that this is going to be, you know, a heart-wrenching gut punch of a book. We will get into spoilers. We might hold off for, like, the big spoilers for a couple minutes, but oh, Kirsten, like, you said this will be your therapy session. What, what did you think, maybe the beginning of the book or general? I did think that the writing was, was really lovely. What, what did you think about that? Yeah, I completely agree. I would say for like the, the entire book, regardless of the ending and like, you know, all those like little twists, like it was beautifully written. I mean, the fact that it won a Pulitzer is not surprising. I would say that for the first 100 pages and my grandmother, who was an avid reader as well, she always said, you know, a book in the first 100 pages and the first 100 pages, I was just so engulfed, like just with the prose and his diction and just how he would even describe the sea of flames, which of course yeah. is the gem you know, right. that this book centers around and like, you know, where is it? And like, you know, what does it do? And like, you know, what is, what, you know, does it have powers? And I could actually like almost just completely visualize like what this gem looked like just by oh, his yeah. description. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so even with that, the character development that he, that he did with uh, Marie Lore and then Werner, you know, you, I mean, you, so they, they didn't even meet until what, like halfway, like probably a little bit more than halfway. I thought even a little more than that. It really took them a long time. They were really their own individual characters that yes. he was developing. And so they had their own stories, their own timelines. Like you said, like, you know, the time frame was shifting back and forth, but that all almost created like this, you know, these different layers to the story where you were getting to know them in their past, their present, and even a little bit in the future as you start to read into things. But like you said, we know that they're going to meet up. We know that, mm -hmm. you know, there's going to be yeah. this intersection. But the lead up to that was just pretty breathtaking in and of itself, how Anthony just describes things, like the diction he uses, even like the, the sentence structure. I was just like, you know, oh my God. Yeah. Just like everything was just so poetic. So beautifully written, you know, the characters were amazing. And the story itself for the first, I would say, until they met, just was a, a really, really <laughs> tantalizing story. Oh my sure. gosh, what's gonna happen? And what's gonna happen to them individually? But yes. I think part of it was is that what's gonna happen when they meet? That's kind of where, like, right. for me, things kind of jumped the tracks. But nevertheless, the first, the first seventy-five percent of it really was just a, a really beautiful book, painted an, an amazing picture, and for the characters and the sub-characters, just you know, really amazing. Absolutely, I was gonna read something too. August nineteen forty-four. The historic walled city of Saint-Malo, the brightest jewel of the emerald coast of Brittany, France, was almost totally destroyed by fire. Of the 865 buildings within the walls, only 182 remained standing and all were damaged to some degree. That was the, the preempt, but the very first paragraph was, was titled Leaflets. At dusk, they pour from the sky, they blow across the ramparts, turn cartwheels over rooftops, flutter into the ravines between houses, entire streets swirl with them, flashing white against the cobbles, 
Urgent message to the inhabitants of this town, they say. Depart immediately to open country. I mean, that's the whole style of the writing. It's really lovely. I did read some some reviews and, and some people, um, especially on Goodreads, some people feel it, it's too quiet or, or too, not enough going on at some points. I, I like the style of writing, and I really liked Marie Lohr. I, I thought he did a really good job in in writing her. I I thought that she was a really unique character. And I was looking, even the New York Times had written too, that Marie Laura is an exquisitely realized creation. Her blindness is convincingly represented and the steady love of her locksmith father who builds scale models of the neighborhoods she must learn to negotiate with her cane makes her story both more beautiful and more believable. What did you think about that, Kirsten? Yeah, I mean, I feel the same. I love Marie Lore, and I love the way um, that Anthony just represented her and told her story. But one of the things I think was truly artful was how she wasn't born blind. She became blind. And so there's this whole part where she describes that, you know, I can still see, but just not like I could. Here's what I see. And like as a blind person, it was almost like her mind was creating these pictures of what her father looked like or what Etienne Mm -hmm. looked like. And it's colors. It was like, you know, all these different colors and almost like it was like a heat map in a way. Like that's how I interpreted it. And I was like, oh my gosh, it takes a lot of skill to have to interpret or describe what a blind person can quote unquote see because right. of course, you know she of course can't see, but it is her brain's way of interpreting what she would see if she could see. So like that to me was actually really um, amazing. And so even just one example of that is she has no memories of her mother, but imagines her as white, a soundless brilliance. Her father radiates a thousand colors, opal, strawberry red, deep russet, wild green, smell like oil and metal, the feel of a locked tumbler sliding home, the sound of his key rings chiming as he walks. He is an olive green when he talks to a department head, an escalating series of oranges when he speaks to Mademoiselle Fleury from the greenhouses, bright red when he tries to cook. He glows sapphire when he sits over his workbench in the evenings, humming almost inaudibly as he works, the tip of his cigarette gleaming a prismatic blue. I mean, that is what she's seeing as, you know, know, as a blind person. And I just was like, just reading that, even reading it, you know, again, you know, for like the 10th time, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, you know, all these different ways that, you know, she's quote unquote seeing people. So, I mean, that right Right. there is just, that's really talented writing. You obviously run a Pulitzer Prize. (laughs) For sure. Yes. It's so talented. And I agree with you, Kirsten. I thought he did another really, he did such a good job, I thought, of, of Marie lore describing her and then there was a section where you know when when she's in the house and they wouldn't let her out of the house and and we'll talk about that but i thought it was so interesting that some person might stereotypically say like oh okay she's blind you know who cares if you're going out and about absolutely she was just like anybody i mean she needed to to hear the you know and smell the sights and sounds and walk around and the ocean and, and things like that i thought that was was so 
interesting. I thought he did a really uh, nice job with her. And you mentioned, I always like to give those, everyone loved it but me statistics. Kirsten, you've already said that it did win the Pulitzer. So as we said, Anthony Doerr wrote this in 2014. It won the Pulitzer in 2015. It's won a lot of awards, you guys. It was the Audi Award for Fiction in 2015, the um, ALA Alex Award, Dayton Literary Peace Prize nominee for fiction in 2015. Uh, book was on the New York Times bestsellers list for 130, that's 130 consecutive weeks. It was shortlisted for the National Book Award. 2015 Andrew Carnegie Medal of Excellence in Fiction. It was selected as the New York Times Book Review's 10 Best Books of 2014. It has 1.2 million ratings on Goodreads as Kirsten and I are recording this in December 2021. So it's it's a pretty it's a pretty popular book. And as we were talking about characters, one thing I did notice, and even the, the New York Times, like we said, many, many publications loved this book for sure. Uh, one thing the New York Times had even written was they felt like the character Werner is a little less successfully realized. What did you think about Werner as, as a character? I, I mean, I actually thought Werner was, of a very successfully realized character. I mean, I, I think that was part of my okay. own yeah. heartbreak, you know, just towards like when yeah. they were after, after yeah. their intersection because it wasn't just like him as a character as well, but it was also, you know, this build up to, you know, that Marie-Lauren Werner, you know, had this meaning for each other. And so right. For, right. for him, like it was, to me, it was very interesting just his, you know, and this is actually really when I got sucked into um, him as a character, just like his intense curiosity for like engineering and the radio and so mm-hmm. for him he had this and of course he grew up in an orphanage you know with his sister and yes. he had this this insatiable desire to learn and math and geometry and you know just shapes and connections and so for him it was a passion you know which of course the Nazis took advantage of but it was sure this oh yeah yeah the, it was just this quest for knowledge and I personally just like you know I love that for him as a character. And it also was a propelling factor, you know, in, you know, his progression throughout the book when it was senior Nazi officials who took him under his wing because he's like, okay, you can help us. Yes. Um, Was that Volkheimer? Yes, yes, Volkheimer. That's right. Him trying to survive while also fulfilling his love and his quest, you know, for knowledge and, you know, to be fulfilled essentially, you know, just um, intellectually. I personally thought that he was a very well developed character. I think, as we just said, Marie Lore was an amazingly, you know, developed character, even on two parallel tracks you know, they were very interesting and compelling in and of themselves. And then I think it was, you know, some of the other, you know, sub-characters as well surrounded them, like Etienne for Marie Laure, her uncle, who had his own issues, but then, you know, how they took care of each other and and for Werner yes the relationships yeah Werner were you gonna say Frederick yep so with Frederick and then of course you know with Werner's sister you know the relationship Mm -hmm. with her because you know that also played a hand in his character I I think the the individual characters themselves were very very well developed it was really like how the story played out where like that's hence the reason we're here today is like everyone loved it by me it's like once they had the intersection and then they, they crossed the intersection section then I was like what happens why we're gonna get to that you guys listeners and readers um 
But I do want to speak to something because you were talking about Werner's relationships. One of them was with Frederick. So Frederick is is this kid who loved birds and you can imagine him kind of working at a university and, and being one of those spotting birds or tracking them and things like that. He's just this kind soul and he just gets abused horrifically at this Nazi. It is horrible. And Werner, you know, doesn't stand up for him. And so that's hard to see that. It was, there were a couple of those scenes. I, I did a mix of listening to this and reading this. There were some, I was in the car listening where, where Frederick is, is getting just brutally attacked. And it was not the worst I've read, but it was close. These were really tough scenes. Ultimately, he, he becomes disabled. He's not even able to function fully for the rest of his life because of how he's attacked by his fellow students. Kirsten, what did you th think of that? I think that that was a heartbreak in the story, but it wasn't like the heartbreak just because I think that I think that Werner's relationship with Frederick was insightful in the sense that, you know, it revealed Werner's soft, caring side. But this, like mm -hmm. you said, he didn't stand up for his friend when he was being brutalized right. and, um, and he saw it coming and it didn't happen once. It happened multiple times. To me, I saw that as the development of Werner's character, you know, that he watched in horror and he was sad. And also, you know, Frederick was a character who, like you said, he was sensitive, he was soft, but he also stood up to do the right thing. So there is a, you know, spoiler yes. in the, you know, spoiler alert, like, you know, there's a part in the book where, you know, there's a man who's taken, a prisoner who's taken before the students mm -hmm. and all the students are encouraged. They're in the freezing cold outside and they're encouraged to dump each a bucket of water on this poor man and everyone's doing it oh. you read it and like yeah. you can feel i mean my my chest tightens just thinking about it and everyone did it but Ugh. frederick and frederick came and he poured right. the water on the floor and he was like no he's had enough he's already done mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. yeah yeah and so it's interesting though because Werner, you know had the same trepidation over it you know he had the same sadness but he wasn't mm -hmm. strong enough so for me the relationship with frederick was like you know frederick actually completed Werner in a way Werner wasn't strong enough, you know, as a character quite yet in this part in the book to stand up for what's right, but Frederick could. And then as a result, Frederick, you know, paid a deep price, but Werner kind of did too, you know, in a, in a way, but yeah, I was just going to say, but then I think that also then brings it makes the intersection with Marie Laura that much more compelling, you know, because you think, okay, he had this mm -hmm. relationship with Frederick, Werner couldn't do what's right. So when, by the time he does meet Marie Laura, all of those things right. come into focus. That's true. And his relationship with his sisters. So readers and listeners, you know, we kind of have that same buildup with Werner where his sister is one who I think is a more, you know, morally on the right track, if you will. Isn't there a point when they're in the orphanage where he, Werner, destroys a radio? And she says, no, we should try to keep it. So this is our only way of, of staying in touch. And that is one of the overall themes, right? Is that whole kind of good versus evil. Are we on the right side? Are we on the wrong side? This was page 360. Discussion comes up with Marie Lore and her great uncle. It says it takes him a long time to come down the ladder. He takes her hand. He says the war that killed your grandfather killed 16 million others. One and a half million French boys alone. Most of them younger than I was. Two million on the German side marched the dead in a single file line, and for 11 days and 11 nights they'd walk past our door. This is not rearranging street signs, what we're doing, Marie. This is not misplacing a letter at the post office. These
these numbers. They're more than numbers. Do you understand? But we are the good guys, aren't we, Uncle? I hope so. I hope we are. And I thought that that theme, right, where you're born in this country and you want to believe that this country is doing the right thing, and in this case, Marie and her uncle are fighting for the resistance, right? They're they're doing all sorts of little different um, things through Morse code and, and things like that. But this overall theme, right, where Werner's like, am I? Or Ver- I'm sorry, it's Werner. When I was seeing, <laughs> sometimes I thought of it as Werner. It is Werner because <laughs> when I heard it, it was Werner. My apologies if I say that again, but Werner would wonder that too. Werner would say, oh, am I on the right side? You know, wait a minute, this doesn't seem like the right thing. And like you said, Kirsten, it took him a long time to, to figure that out. I do think that, you know, in many war, especially World War Two, you know, especially the stories, um, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, I think, you know, the balance of good versus evil. But, and so I'm, 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 what I'm about to say, I'm saying actually as a, a student of World War Two, my undergraduate uh, bachelor's degree uh, was in history and I had a... Um... Oh my gosh, I didn't even know that, you guys. That's I know, incredible. <laughs> You truly are the perfect guest. <laughs> well, I have a thing for World War Two, like which you know is is one of the reasons I was. Oh yes. One of the reasons I was drawn to this book, but I, I also so one of the things I um had done like so World War Two yeah World War Two was a special uh, a specialization of mine and it was specific to a certain part of history, but there was one there was one analysis I did of people in World War Two. I actually came to the conclusion that it was about good versus evil, but I think unfortunately it's much much more simpler than that it's people doing the best they could with what they had whether that's information whether it's resources whether it was split decision and they didn't have time to think obviously some people you know damn right. the torpedoes and hid jews in their attics and like you know in their basements and built you know shelters for them and some people decided I need to keep my family safe and I'm going to stick my head in the sand and play along and make nice and I hope I get out of it alive. Some people decided to cross over completely because whatever reason. I do think right. that there's a bit of this here too, that Etienne, you know, Marie-Laure's uncle, I think he was truly doing what he felt was right. He's like, okay, and the, exactly the part you mm-hmm. just read, like, you know, the world that killed, killed your grandfather killed 16 million others. And then he goes through the detail of, you know, what he saw. And it's his way of, I think the first time it was like, okay, I couldn't do anything then, but perhaps I could do something now. And the way he did it, I mean, he wasn't going out there like, you know, trying to shoot Nazis. He was rearranging street signs. You know, he was misplacing the letters. Like he, you know, him and his rebels, like they were doing these little things, the best that they could do with what they had. So I think that for both Marie-Laure and Werner, that was the case throughout this book, that Werner made certain decisions because he was doing the best with what he could. Didn't mean they were the right decisions or the best decisions. And Marie-Laure was doing the same even up until the part where you know she's sure. hiding towards the end like in the attic um you know where yes fawn rumple you know is going through the house and she's like okay what do i do yes. like how do i survive like and she had to make decisions for herself and that's also where the radio comes into play where she decides to start sure. broadcasting that brings us to the perfect point kirsten because i just wanted to say and i'll include this in in the show notes you guys but i found a youtube video and an npr link where anthony Anthony Dorr essentially explained how he came up with this idea, right, with the radio. And so he 
described on, on YouTube and in uh, an NPR article. He said he was on the train in 2004 in New York City in Penn Station and someone was on their cell and the man was complaining that he lost his cell reception and, and Anthony said, we're 80 feet underground and he's bashing on his little device and he said, what you're forgetting, mister, is this a miracle? You are talking to someone very far away with this little transmitter, this little device and we're forgetting that all around us is this electromagnetic radiation is carrying these messages and it's kind of an amazing thing. So he goes on to say, I wanted to capture the magic of hearing the voice of a stranger in a little device in your home. I started with a boy chap somewhere, girl reading a story to him over a radio. And so that was how like the original idea of the radio um, came, came to be. And then he was talking about um, how he decided on the setting in San Malo, um, which he was basically... He was explaining essentially that he was doing a book tour in France and stopped at the seaside town. And I can include links, but anybody can kind of Google this. I've not been to this town. I don't no. know if you have Kirsten, but it looks so gorgeous. Okay. I've been to Paris, but I've not been to, to this town. And um, But it's this walled citadel right on the aqua waters of the English Channel is how, um, is how Anthony describes it. I'm walking on the ramparts after a whole day of exploring these granite mansions and walking the low tide beaches and I told my editor it's amazing to be in such an old city and he said well actually in August 1944 this city was almost entirely destroyed by American bombs and then that is that's what kind of a and then he kind of also goes on and I'll include this too to decide a little bit of how why he decided to include uh, Werner he was saying there was a photograph in Life magazine of a boy who was 15 years old when the United States 9th Army took a town called Breckenback I believe and the photo is of the boy who's clearly in a uniform that's too large. He's 15 years old. His father had died in 38. His mother had died in 44. And he had joined uh, the Air Force to support himself. So that's because what happens is Werner, of course, is, is told to join the military force basically when he's about 15, right? He's three years too young, I think. So... I just wanted to kind of get into that as, as we're now getting to the the main section, just to talk a little bit about, I thought it was interesting, I always think it's interesting how the author comes up with this idea, and I really love the idea of the radio, and I have to say, I was a little disappointed, I felt like it took a long time to get to the point where they were actually talking on the radio, where you could hear... And I guess they weren't really even communicating that much, but Werner was hearing Marie Lore. So yeah, I mean, and I think for me, this is kind of where like their intersection, like as I've been calling it, you know. So up until the point where they this is where you yeah, start to have yeah. the problems, right? Right, because <laughs> like, so book. for the first, let's say, let's just say like you know, seventy-five percent ish, you know, of the the book, they're two characters on parallel tracks, like they're living their own lives. You know that they're going to intersect yes. at some point, but up until then. They have beautifully crafted narratives in you know unto themselves and you kind of fall in love with them as individuals their flaws and all like neither one of them is perfect you know but you really become enmeshed with them mm -hmm. and so it is the radio that kind of creates that intersection and it's because of the shows you know Werner yes. would listen to which happened to be broadcasted from you know the house where Marie Lore's uncle lived what happened was is that just the radio like kind of has this prevalent theme and then we 
when you when they meet, it's the radio and the broadcasting that she does that kind of brings him back to life. Because of course, before before this, like you know, he and is it um, I think it was Volkheimer, like they were trapped, and so so like yes. you know that he's gonna get out, like but they're trapped, you know, because of the bombing and like it doesn't look you know it doesn't sure. look very good, and so it's her voice, mm-hmm, right? You know that, and like you know her broadcasting that leads him to her. I think that their intersection or their union or whatnot is you know, very compelling and he saves her. You know, he saves her physically, you know, once he finds her. You know, he saves mm-hmm. her from um, you know, just right. you know, as um Von Rumble's searching for the sea of flames in the house and she's hiding and Jewel, mm-hmm. that's like the stone. So there's another German who comes in and he thinks that the house has been evacuated. Marie Laura is basically super quiet in in the attic i just kept thinking you know how scary that would be and of course she's she's blind so she is just focused so much on every sense and description and the soldier who is in the house he has a limp i mean so she notices all of those things and i I thought that that was really significant i thought that was really well well yeah it really was and i think one of the parts that really captured me in that part where she's in hiding and of course she's in this enclave in the attic where they keep the radio equipment because of course it's illegal and they were you know the, yes you know, allowed any but they did keep one <laughs> they kept one they kept the one that could broadcast and so what happened was is that you know she they, they had an armoire that create that you know basically created the portal you know to this part of the attic where where she ended up hiding but also where they were hiding the equipment and so just her fear in that part you know because it's not like a finished attic you know it's has boards and she has a blind person has to climb right. over the board. I think the part where they were describing her keeping quiet, but also she's like starving. She's thirsty. And she manages to get yeah. the cans of food because she's blind. She doesn't know. Are they beans? Right. Are they, Oh, that's right. Are they, yes, that's right. Are, are You're 100% pieces? right. Because, you know, that was what the housekeeper would do. So you don't know. True. Like, you know, what is this can? And then she has to open this can, but right. she can't open right. the can without making noise. And so her decision, like in line with all the bombs going off and then when she actually like the description of her putting the can to her mouth and it is beans and it's salty and she drinks it down I was just like oh my gosh yes. I was like yes thinking about it I mean I felt as if I was thirsty and starving and what those you know you could almost feel yourself what it was to eat or drink the juice you know from the beans yes. it was a really kind of the hunt in and of itself was interesting but her own decisions and and the descriptions around how she had to navigate her situation as a blind person was really fascinating. Absolutely. Talking about kind of a little more even when they meet. Essentially, Werner was supposed to take the radio device from her house and he knew that it was there, but he did make the decision at this point. Now we're good, like you said, probably 70% in and he makes the decision to say, oh, there's nothing there. Yeah. And also too, it was, so now that we're like the true spoiler (laughs) alert territory and it's happening, like this is it. Like, yeah, he's in charge of tracking down these devices, you know, that are being, that the the rebels are using to broadcast and to, you know, communicate with each other. So he and Volkheimer, you know, are basically on like this mission to track them all down. And this is actually where his love of engineering Mm -hmm. and like physics and geometry, all that comes in. He's able to pinpoint where the devices are based on their broadcast and using like the device, the radio he has. And so, or the transmitter, I think it is. 
And so he does end up pinpointing her. And But the thing is, is that she is broadcasting. So Marie Lore is broadcasting a broadcast that he used to listen to when he was young. As a yeah, kid. With his sister in the orphanage. And he knows the stories because I believe it was Marie Lore's grandfather who, who had done it. Yeah. And so her, yes, so her yes. uncle, you know, so her grandfather, you know, had passed, but her uncle was the one she was now with after they had to escape the Nazis from Paris. It was in a sense that Marie Lore's broadcasting in her own desperation in her situation that Werner not only just saved him, but then he went and saved her because she was also being hunted by yes. um, Von Rumpel, who, you know, was on the search for the sea of flames. Yes. And he knew that she must have it based on her father working at the museum. Dad had already had been arrested at this point for many years. And mm -hmm. unfortunately yeah. it didn't turn out yeah, well for her dad either. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because it doesn't turn out well for her dad, but in, in a sad but kind of understandable way. You kind of expected in, in that. Sense, right? I, I, I did expect it. I wasn't surprised, but I think that it was Werner save Marie Lore because he goes into the house, he shoots, you know, the senior Nazi official who's in there. And of course that Nazi official has his own story because yes. he's, you know, has a disease and he's dying. And the whole allure of the gem is the person who has it can live forever. Yes. And the people around them might be doomed, but he didn't really care because I don't think he had that many people <laughs> that he was right. close yeah, to. Right. he was just on the hunt for him. <laughs> He wasn't a super developed he character, was, he guys. Wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't, but he had like this, you know, this dichotomy about him where he loved the gems, but also like this now became in his head a matter of life and death for him. This gem has this like, yes. you know, allure yes. around it. And even the museum where Marie Laura's father worked as the locksmith, they had the gem under lock and key because they just weren't sure. Everyone had a superstition about it. Is it true? Like, does this thing help you live forever while everyone around you dies? Like, so the, the stone in and of itself had its own story. But by the time that Werner and Marie Lore meet, you know, yes. he saved her, but she saved him in essence. He finally was brave enough to do the right thing. This is the first time in 475 pages or so that he is able, you're right, you're right. And that's kind of what we were leading to. And then he gets, um, then he gets arrested because now we're in 1944. We know what's happening. The Americans are taking over. And I'm just going to read it, Kirsten. Yeah. I'm going to read it just like we read it. So it starts out again. The moonlight shines and billows. The broken clouds scud above the trees. Leaves fly everywhere, but the moonlight stays unmoved by the wind, passing through clouds, through air, and what seems to Verna like impossibly slow, imperturbable rays. They hang across the buckling grass. Why doesn't the wind move the light? Across the field, an American watches a boy leave the tent, the sick tent, and move against the background of the trees. He sits up. He raises his hand. Stop, he calls. Halt, he calls. But Werner has crossed the edge of the field where he steps on a trigger landmine set there by his own army three months before and disappears in a fountain of earth. Page 483, listeners. Werner dies. So this is what bothers yeah, you the so most, I, right, Kirsten? <laughs> I came to this and I was like, what the F? 
why? Wait a second. I had to reread it. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, what? like he disappears in a fountain of earth. I'm like, did he die? Wait a minute. Did he, is he maimed? Is he, wait, what? I was like, I was like, okay, okay, okay. I'm like, so this character that, you know, and the, and the, but here's the other thing about this, you know, by the time you get to this point, he and Marie Lore had a very brief encounter. Yeah. You know, he essentially say he saves her. Yes. In, in the same vein, like, you know, she saves him, I would say morally. He helps her. Sure. So the, the other part of the story is, is that the folklore around the gem is, is that it, it protect like you know the person who has it will live forever, but the people around them will die. But unless it's returned to the earth, so she takes him yes, to this yes. secret place that's locked, almost like it has a door and it has a key, and she attempts to return the gem to the earth. So, but the thing about the gem is, is that it's in this carving yes. that her father made, and so she asks Werner. She doesn't tell him what she's right, doing. Right. She just says, is it underwater? And he says, yes. And they leave together. She gives him the key, and but she doesn't tell him anything. And then that's it. Like she goes off and very brief encounter. It serves its purpose, you know. And then, of course, there's later in the book where Volkheimer's you know, sure. saying that, you know, he thinks that Werner was in love with a French girl. So he, you know, was probably caught up in like the, the saving hit of his morality. But the... Their encounter was so brief, sure. so distinct, that when he dies, I'm like, oh, wait a second. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Here's what's going to happen. His death is going to be this amazing catalyst. Like, you're, you're going to find out that he went back and he found out that he took the stone. You're going to find out that there is like something <laughs> that he either has or he knows. And it is going to lead to this whole other section. At this point, I was kind of mortified. I was like, oh my God, I'm like, Virgil's dead. I'm like, is this true? Is this happening? But then I was like, oh, what's going to happen from here? And the answer is nothing. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing. <laughs> nothing happens. He sure, dies. Sure. And then, then I think that this is where, you know, so like you said, even looking at the book, it's not even 75% at this point. It's like more like 90% of the book. I'm like, it, it just starts to wrap up. Yeah. Absolutely. It yes. It's like 483 is when he dies out of 531 pages. Like I was saying to you, Kirsten, for me, I feel like, and you studied World War II, you know, and I did not. I do read a lot of it, and I, I think I, I had said to you offline, I said, I might need to take a break from World War II reading because, I, you know, I, it's so similar, and I guess maybe it is so similar because that's just what happened. This could have been written a little differently, but I felt like as I was reading it, I thought, okay, one of these characters is going to die and it's probably going to be Werner. You know, I think Marie Lore, and, and I kind of was mentally prepared for it. It still did surprise because it was so abrupt. I don't know if it felt predictable to me, but again, when you read these World War II books, like people are going to die. Yeah. And I think, and this is, I know something I was, uh, you know, saying to you offline. I'm like, so if this was nonfiction, I would get it. Yeah. Like there's an essence that, you know, life, sucks mm -hmm. war sucks world right. war two and world war one were awful they were horrible very gruesome awful things happened to very innocent mm -hmm. people i mean world war two just you know even studying it even today i still have a hard time 
reading stories and, you know, on, on, on social, like I follow so many pages of like, you know, veterans and Holocaust survivors, and it doesn't matter how many times you read stories. It's heartbreaking every single time. So I would get it. I would get it if it's like, okay, this is a story about this one man and woman and it's real, but it's not, this is fiction. This is a book. And I'm like, so what I was expecting is, is that his death was going to lead to something greater. And that even if the ending isn't a happy one, which there are so many books that I've read and loved, and the ending is not happy. It sucks. Like, you're like, oh, my God, this character. Like, my heart has been ripped, but it is a super satisfying ending. You're like, oh, my God, this was such a good book. With this one, there were so many things that I was like, okay, like, his death didn't really open a catalyst to anything. It just, he died. But then you also find out that... You know, so Marie, like, so what happens is years and years later, the, his possessions end up making their way through, you know, this whole web, you know, back to his sister who had yes. just started her life and has her own family. This is like back into the, into the yeah, 70s. Yeah, so it's like almost like not present day, but I think it's like in the 70s. The war is over. It's been right. over. People have rebuilt their lives. You find that he does go back to the place, the hiding place where Marie Lore had put the carving with the stone in it. And he took, and like, so he took the carving. Yes. And then so his sister finds the carving in his possessions with the key in it, but no stone. And then, and then there's a chapter later on where yes. you basically deduce, it's not even a page long, but it's like another hour, another day, another year, lump of carbon, no larger than a chestnut, mangled with algae, bedeckled Mm -hmm. with barnacles, crawled over by snails. It stirs among the pebbles. So you're like, okay, he took the stone and put it into the water where she wanted it, but he didn't know that there was a stone in there. She didn't tell him, to my knowledge, or maybe like I totally missed something, that you know, that what the significance was. So I was like, why do you do that? <laughs> why? So that was the part that I was like, okay, what? I'm like, okay, so he's he dies. I'm like, I've, I've kind of gotten over that, but then like the key and everything comes back and. But he took the Sea of Flames, and then the Sea of Flames is, you know, buried, like, or it's in the water. It was returned, but why, like, I think that the significance for me would have been greater had he known, you know, for Marie Lore what it represented or what her intentions were. But as far as I could tell, she didn't explain it to him. She just was like, I need your help, you know, and, and that was it. So, so it kind of left me kind of being like, what? I don't get it. And then the book ends right. kind of wrapping things up. You kind of have a conclusion with his sister. You know, she has a family now. Sure. You know, they gave a, a brief, you know, just kind of a snapshot into what happened to her during the war, which, you know, was horrific. But I felt like I was like, why are we? Yeah. It, I, I don't know. I felt like it was almost like, okay, we need to wrap her up real quick. So let's give a little insight into like, you know, just the, the suckiness of her life. And then, right. you know, let's fast forward now to like the point at which, you know, we need her to satisfy the end. Ending. So they wrap that up. They they wrap up Volkheimer, you mm-hmm. know, because he, you know, has also transitioned, you know, after the war. And even Frederick, it rats, you know, rats up with Frederick. He's basically like yeah. you said, he's disabled. He's essentially like a vegetable in essence. And that's it. You know, that that's it. Like, you know, he that that's just how he turned out. His yeah. his morality and his braveness, you know, just didn't it, it may have, you know, it may have like helped Werner, you know, to like, you know, help Marie Lore, but he dies anyway. So, you know, it's not like there was any, you know, huge, huge, you know, epiphany. I mean, I right. guess, you know, saving Marie right. Lore. And then Marie Lore is an older woman and she has a grandson. 
And it kind of ends in 2014, right? I mm-hmm. think. Where she's yeah. Kinda and basically, that, you and, know, she basically yeah. just, you know, is sitting there alone after her grandson leaves and until all she can hear are the sighs of cars and the rumble of trains and the sounds of everyone hurrying through the cold. And so for me, for me, I was just kind of like, oh, what was the point? It no. wasn't it, it satisfying. Wasn't, it, sounds... it wasn't satisfying. Yeah. There was no true, like, like I said, you know, I thought that Werner's death was going to open something up. There was going to be something about the stone. He was going to have done something, you know, unknowingly or hence the reason that something's still happening. But instead, it was almost like, okay, the book should have ended. The book should have ended at when they met and he saved her. It's almost like that's where Anthony sure. intended sure. and then after that he was like oh but okay. I gotta write some more yeah and let me like so that's I mean if, if he I was just gonna say if he I know he'll listen to this and be like that's not what I intended I'm gonna be like sorry that's just you know I'm like good lord like the ending like it just I feel like there was something so much more prolific that could have happened maybe that is his his point he's like yeah yeah, life sucks. <laughs> One of the things that I, I read, I think I can't remember if this was on Goodreads or there were a lot of people like trying to decide like Werner's death, right? It had no meaning. It did have a meaning. And one one review was saying, you know, Werner is the one who lifts the curse. And the people he cared for, Marie Lure, his sister, Volkheimer, all survive. But he is killed because the stone does not protect him anymore. So they're saying, so in a way, his death does have some meaning. That's one way to look at it. I thought that was interesting. I did not think of it that way. But I just wanted to offer up that different... Yeah, my uh, challenge to that, though, is, is that he didn't do anything with the stone knowingly Marie Lore did Marie Marie Lore was the one who returned it correct and, but also like the fact that even you know I um, just read before like that one of the last chapters Sea of Flames where it talks about how it's being crawled over by snails with the barnacles to me that was a very distinct nod towards he left the stone behind he went back and got the house but the stone was left behind and so Marie was the one who returned the stone. He went back to get the house. Like, you know, but why did he get the house? And did, you know, like, and like, did he open it and then return it? But why would he have returned right. it? So the whole thing about him lifting the curse doesn't make sense to me. Because according to like what I've read, you know, is Marie Lore who did it. And then he, for whatever reason, decided to go back and undo what she was doing. Don't know why. And we don't know no why. Yeah. And Kirsten, another kind of criticism that, that I did read, and I think this might be something given your education and um studying in World War II and a number of publications, New York Times, and I think the New Republic said that one part where they think this falls short is when it tries to deal with Nazism. So, like, they were kind of, New York Times is saying it falls back on those flimsy types. They mentioned Frederick, and at times Werner is another. Most preposterous of all is Sergeant Major Reinhold von Rumpel, whose wickedness and physical loathsomeness are offset by nothing that could make him into a rounded character. His unbelievability exemplifies a mistake writers often make when describing monsters. The fact that Hitler was kind to animals does not make him less monstrous, but only more human, more like us, and therefore less susceptible to being complacently dismissed. Another publication was kind of talking about the concern here is is they feel like this like 
normalizes it and they go into a novel is not a historical document as you had said but it does become one regardless of its author's preference our entertainments reflect their times how we choose to remember historical events and how we prefer to remember them especially when the worst of times world war ii becomes material for the lightest of entertainments and they go through and kind of give these examples how the nazi past is being normalized and they even talk about how there's just these all all these different types of normalization including like websites devoted to cats that look like hitler suggest that what matters less is the normalization and more how it is done so i was curious about kind of like what you thought about that so i mean it, it this is fiction right it's fiction with world war ii as a background so we yes, do have yes. to remember that like you know we're not looking at this as I don't even know if I would go as far to call it historical fiction because it's not like it took a real thing and created other narrative around it. I would just say it's just fiction and, and you know, with a World War II as a backdrop. But I think one of the things that Dore did really well was he personalized, he created these characters. They had their own stories. They had yeah. their own narratives. So exactly the reason why you are so enthralled you know, with Marie Lore as her own character, with Werner as his own character, with all these individuals, because he did such an amazing job developing their characters. The commentary around normalizing the Nazis is a bit misplaced because Nazis, for better or for worse, were still human beings. In this one paper I wrote about women yep. in Nazi Germany, it was about how... There, w there wasn't just one type of woman. There were, there were female heroes. There were females that, you know, just, I just got to keep my family safe, you know, regardless of what's going on around me. There were sadistic females, you know, who were part of like the SS mm -hmm. and wanted to help, you know, just, you know, reign just destruction. And so it's not like you can mm -hmm. blanket like this, you know, this one face. The Nazi movement was comprised of, of course, you know, Hitler being the head of it, but also everybody that belonged to it was still a person. And I think that with Dorr, the person who made, you know, who were part of a horrific, you know, part of history, like, so I just want to make sure that's clear, but nevertheless, they were still people. And I think that one of the things that Dorr was doing was, is that he was trying to personalize the character it wasn't, he wasn't trying to personalize Nazism. He was trying to personalize the characters who were working within this broader movement. And for some, it was personal. For Werner, yeah, right, was he a Nazi? Right. Like, you know, technically, he was raised as a Nazi youth. He didn't, he didn't break out of it, but nevertheless, he was still working right. towards what was best, doing the best with what he had. So I think his morality, you know, broke through when he saved Marie Lore. But, and then like, you know, same thing, you know, Volkheimer mm -hmm. was an interesting character. I actually would say that his character could have been developed a bit more. Like, you know, he wasn't, he was interesting in the sense that, yeah, I think that like he was interesting in the sense that he was always like kind oh, of right. by yeah. side. But at the same time, you really didn't know him. And then at the end, it yeah. was Werner's possessions that came back to him because he technically, Werner was technically under him as part of the group. And then he decides to, you know, to track yes, down his sister yes. and, and return everything. So it's, so I don't know. I think to say that we're trying to whitewash or like that, those are my words or normalize Nazism. That's not what this is doing. This is creating like a fictional sure. story, but you're painting very specific 
pictures of individual characters who happen to be Nazis or who weren't Nazis. So that's my take on it. Like This is a really complex book. I think it was really well done. I don't know that I loved it. I definitely did not hate it. I'm definitely somewhere in the middle. It's just a lovely book. It's a hard read. I thought that was really clever and well done. And I did feel like the going back and forth between the characters worked really well to me. I just felt sometimes like the and I guess even the countries I, I was okay with. Sometimes the dates were confusing me. What did you think about those, Kirsten? It was okay, but I can imagine, like, if you're listening to it, and like you said, if you miss the date, like, that would th that would totally would throw me off. I read it, the hard copy, and because you're manually flipping a page, obviously, and, like, looking at the new chapter, like, your brain kind of transitions with it. Those transitions, yes. I think, for this book were important because you did have to then say, okay, now we're stepping back in time. Okay, now we're, like, moving forward. If anything, I, I thought it worked well because you're getting to know Marie Lore and Werner both from the past, but also from the present. So it was in a sense, like you almost had like four storylines going on at the same time, like, you know, both of their past and both of their presence. They were both intriguing and compelling and you wanted to know. So I actually found myself as we would go back and forth, I wasn't like, oh no, I don't want to go back. I want to know what happened. I'm like, oh yes, we get to continue this story now. So I actually thought it was well, really well done and, and made it that much more compelling. I would get to come to one of my favorite points where we get to talk about the, I switch the narrative and we'll say everyone hated it but me books. A couple books that perhaps you feel haven't gotten enough attention or that you've just really enjoyed. Okay, so I've, I've been doing a bunch of reading, but there is one book that in the vein of sad ending, not happy ending, but a very satisfying ending. So Jodi Picoult's The Storyteller, mm -hmm. that to me, so still within the World War II vein, and actually I haven't read that you know, in, in quite a while, but like, you know, I felt like there, it, was, yes. it was relevant for this conversation. A book that was heart-wrenching. Yes, it was. And the ending, yes. you're just like, the last yes. page, you're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. But, but nevertheless, you yes. come out of that being like, this was a good book, holy crap. <laughs> like there was no longing, there was no, it was just like, oh snap, like that. It really was such a compelling, tantalizing, it, it wasn't wrapped up with roses and that's not, you know, that's not what I'm expecting. For the readers, mm -hmm. your listeners of your podcast, highly recommend yep. that one. That is definitely a good read. And so that, but like I said, that one was relevant. And where that one excels is I find with these like World War II books, right? That they all kind of come up with their themes. And, uh, and of course, a very common theme we start out is usually 1940 and there's not a lot of food and food becomes a central theme. And I will say in the storyteller, the theme of food in that she, she carries out that theme and talking about what it means and how this lives with char the characters their whole life going without food and things like that and the smells and how you think of it and when the times are at the worst you remember yeah no you're so right the food theme was a very important theme because that also was like the food has a it, it, it's, a, it's a common theme it's an important theme for many many different reasons but hence you know one of the reasons why I really love that book I thought it was relevant for this one just because it was World War II and also beautifully written in a really really good story but a very satisfying ending in my opinion Jodi Picoult is an author that it must have been like at least 15 years ago that I started reading her, like when she first started becoming really popular. And so, you know, so she always has like a, a really phenomenal storyteller and, but always with a bit of a 
dark side to it. There's always always something, whether it's suicide or yes. death or something, there's always something a little bit, I wouldn't even say sinister, it's just dark. Yes. So I had to take a break from her for a while, especially after my daughter was born. So I was like, I, need, I just need puppies and rainbows and I need like good things. Like I want, sure, sure. Yeah, I want to be sucked into books, but I don't want to be like sobbing in the background. I actually picked up another book of hers. I'm reading now, which is the book of two ways. So I haven't finished it. So that's the only thing. Oh, that was on my list. And then I didn't have a chance to, I think I had to return it. I, write, I talk about this a lot on the podcast. I get too many books from the library, but yes, I've had several people tell me uh, about that one. I want to recommend, but have you read see. Of Salt to Sea? It, it is World War II and it highlights four different individuals who are making their way to the Wilhelm Gustav and I'll include it in the show notes. So all the light we cannot see. So same thing like you said, it's, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. I actually wanted to love it. The end will continue to torment me, but alas, like, you know, if I want a book about real life, you know, we're all kind of living it. <laughs> you know? One of my cousins who's about 10 years younger than I am, she asked me once, she was like, why can't my generation ever get out from under World War II? She's like, we weren't even born. We had nothing to do with it. It was awful. She goes, but you, we just will always live in the shadow of World War II. And I think that like there's every, every single war is awful and horrific. And I could go on about, I think the reason, you know, why we're so mesmerized by World War II. And I think part of it, is because the world sat and watched as one of the greatest atrocities happened. They just sat and watched it. I mean, the U.S. turned away ships full of Jews seeking refuge. I mean, over and over and over again. Like, it was, I think, just such a, a you know, human travesty. So, you know, kudos to, to Dorr for tackling it. it, but in a different way. It was a different type of World War II story. I want to thank all of you for listening today, and I especially want to thank Kirsten Planner, who was willing to come on the show again and share her thoughts about All the Light We Cannot See, which is a truly beloved book. If you notice that we ended this episode a little differently than normal, the blame all goes to my computer, which literally stopped working, you guys. The last few minutes of the recording, it happens. Kirsten's computer was rock solid and kept going. That explains that ending if you wondered about it. And if you've got that everyone loved it but me book you'd like me to discuss on the show, please get in touch with me on my website, www.everyoneloveditbutme. And as always, if you want to support the show, it's helpful to provide a five-star rating or review tell your friends and relatives about my show. I also link to all of the books discussed in my show notes and I've affiliated with bookshop.org which supports independent bookstores and independent entities like this little podcast. So if you purchase a book through the affiliate link, the podcast does receive a small commission. I want to thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a delightful day and most importantly, I hope you get time to read today.